0: If you enjoy listening to these LA meetings, you can also join us live for as long as we continue doing Zoom meetings. Visit our website to get the list of virtual meetings and the login information via Zoom. The website is OALAIG.org. We hope to see you soon. meeting is to help anyone who thinks they may have an eating problem. This is a workshop meeting, and we hope that by asking questions, you will better understand our program. Now is the time for the leader to qualify, which is me. So it looks like I've got about 20 some odd minutes.
1: Ah,
0: All right. Hello again, everybody. My name is Aaron. I am a compulsive overeater. Um, I wanna qualify for those on the podcast. This will mean very little to you, but for those who are uh, on the meeting virtually, I'm going to go ahead and switch over. This is me, uh, in my early twenties. I think this is 98 or 99. Um, definitely up at my top weight. I'm somewhere close to the high two nineties if not 300 pounds. My uh, waist size is in the high above 45. I'm probably wearing 46s there, maybe 48s. Um, this is me on a trip to visit my brother and his uh, fiance at college. Uh, And I'm smiling, but I don't really believe that I'm happy. Uh, I um, came into program much, much later. Uh, Let me switch my background back, there we go. I came into program much, much later. Uh, My top weight when I got into program, I recorded as 280 pounds, but I know that in my life, um, I've I've been over the 300 mark. And the reason that I know that is because in my life, my definition of I can still manage was when I saw a number higher than 300 on the scale, I would get my ass in gear and beat it back down below the 300 mark. I could usually go for somewhere between four to six weeks on any given diet or workout plan you gave me by sheer will determination and being grouchy. Um, I could drive that number down, usually somewhere between 40 and 60 pounds. Um, depending on how uh, w- what program I was doing. Was I doing a commercial weight loss program? Was I doing an Aaron Invented program? The Aaron Invented program did not work as well. Um, and uh, depending on whether any holidays fell within that six-week period would also be a major uh, component if there was any excuse for me to take a break or go off of the diet that I was trying to do. I do like to share that uh, I don't know my top weight. And that is because, as I said, I was focused mainly on the first number, the three. If I saw a three in the first position, I would get into gear. I'm pretty sure the last number I saw one time was a nine. I can't tell you if the one between them was a zero, a one, a two. Just that's how checked out I was. Um, That's what my disease does to me. My disease makes it so I can't see reality. Um, What it was like, uh, no one would ever have gotten me to relate to this program uh, saying that I was a binger. I didn't, the word binge never, I never said to myself, I am going on a binge right now. I never said, I'm going to give a good old fashioned binge this weekend. Uh, What I did do was I just found reasons to eat. And I found reasons to be terrified of not eating. Um, I would be, if someone suggested The possibility of having a meal, or if I suddenly passed by a particular fast food restaurant um, that I wanted the food from, I could work myself up into a a horrible state of fear. Like, wait a minute, no, no, I I don't need to eat. I ate an hour ago. Wait, but it's an hour? I don't know because it's this time. And they say that lunchtime should really be around here. So even though I ate earlier, I'd get into the negotiation rapidly. I would start, I would look for any excuse that I could get the food that I wanted because uh, as I've come to learn in this program, I am a compulsive overeater. nobody ever got me to relate by saying, Oh, I snuck food. Um, I didn't, I didn't think I was sneaking food. I ate alone a lot of the time, uh, in my car or even going out to restaurants. Um, and I just never told anybody, uh, I never used the words, Oh no, thanks. I've already eaten when invited to any meal or outing, not once uh, before I came into program. Was that a, a, a phrase in my lexicon? So, um, you know, when I listen to the stories and when I listen to other compulsive over talk, I listen uh, I listen for the Drunkologs these days a lot because I'm, I'm about eight years in the program. I came into program in 2011, and I'm someone who needs to be reminded what powerlessness looks like because um, program today is different than it was when I first got in. Um, and I also, I listen, uh, I listen for people who had the same uh, mental twist that I had. Um I have a, a particular problem that I, I focus on when I share, which is what I would really love is when people uh, leave this meeting for them to to be aware of how smart and clever and uh, well-spoken uh, I am. And what I would really love is for people to say, boy, when's that guy gonna write a book about recovering in OA? I'll read that book. And the problem is if, if I share today in a way that makes you leave thinking that there is such a thing as a guru in this program, or that there is such a thing as the one person whose share means something in this program, I failed miserably. Uh, The format says it right there. The purpose of this meeting is to help anyone who thinks they may have an eating problem. The purpose of this meeting is not for me to let you know that I uh, am, am somehow recovering greatly or that I have any kind of secret. My job is to remind you that there are hundreds of us available and there is always a compulsive overeater available to work with to talk to about this problem um, out there in the world in my workplace uh, i work in an industry where long nights are considered um, not not just required but kind of the point of having this job like the the excitement i see in fellow workers when somebody says hey guys we're working late and they go and they announce they're going to order us the food and they announce hey go go to the they, they give us free uh sugar water and free caffeine and free snacks at the place that I work as an encouragement to, to dive in and work late. It is one of the fun parts. That's where the bonding happens. And I need you guys in my life because when my coworkers go there, I step outside and I make a phone call. And I say, I'm working late tonight. They've ordered whatever. I have asked for a salad, and if, if they're saying we're ordering this and that's all we're getting, I will go get my own salad. I have, I have access to any number of delivery mechanisms to get the food that I need that is healthy for me and is on my food plan. Um, but really, what I need, I don't have the strength to do that on my own. What I need is all of you, I need a hundred phone numbers in my phone that I can pick up in any second and call and say, "I can't do this unless I call you and say I'm going to do this. I can't make a choice about my food unless I get another compulsive overeater involved in that choice and I get the support to remember that the people that I work with are wonderful, great people. They're fine colleagues. They are all talented. I'm very proud of the team that I'm part of, but not a single compulsive overeater amongst them. I need, I need these rooms and these meetings. So I hope what you hear today is that you have uh, a huge army behind you when you are in Overeaters Anonymous that will help you uh, find freedom. From needing to eat and overeat, or make your life about what you're eating. Um, there was a recovery event last weekend uh, where they had to upgrade the Zoom account because we we can overfill the maximum number of people allowed on a Zoom meeting with the number of compulsive overeaters that are willing to help you recover. Um, if we include the ones who aren't willing to help you recover, we can get way above that. But um, the ones who are willing to talk to you about recovering and not eating today uh, is larger than Zoom ever thought would want to appear on a meeting at one time. So that's, that's a nice reminder, and it's what this program is all about. So to tell you what it was like, I ate a lot. I ate constantly. I was in constant negotiation over the food. I was in constant negotiation over the weight. I became aware that I wanted to stop being fat before I became aware that I wanted to stop eating. Um, I was convinced that my weight was the reason for everything wrong in my life to this day. Uh, gentlemen who come into the room and say, I'm here because my wife says she's going to leave me if I don't do something about this problem. They astound me because I seriously did not, I still do not comprehend how, how you get a wife if, if you aren't in recovery. Like I, I would sit there and go, I thought my weight was the reason I wasn't wasn't having luck in romance. I thought my weight was the reason I was alone and it wasn't. It also was not the reason I got fired from that job that one time. It also was not the reason that uh, a certain friend uh, stabbed me in the back or, or another friend decided that they just didn't want to, you know, that they wanted to move across the country rather than stay near me. It wasn't the reason I didn't get into college. Like my weight, uh, uh, despite what I thought most of my life actually had very little to do with me achieving or pursuing anything that I wanted in the world, except that I put it above everything else. Um, I still wrestle with the idea that uh, when I consider certain artistic or creative or side hustles that I want to do, I still struggle with the thought coming up. Um, okay, but first get on the treadmill. Okay, but first, uh, you know, build up some muscle or somehow make your body something before you you live your life. Um, and I did that for quite a long time. Um, where that what, what happened was I got to thirty years old. Uh, Without a long-term relationship, without a marriage, I was raising no children. Um, I had no career. I had bounced from one career to another. Uh, I went through the same things everybody goes through with romance and finance, except that I had this special get out of growth free card called, well, I'm heavy and the world hates heavy people. And um, no matter what lessons anyone tried to put in front of me, uh, I just said, oh, I don't need to learn that lesson. The only reason you're telling me that is because you don't like how big I am or you think something about me because of how big I am. The fact that I was miserable, (laughs) let's not talk about that. Let's not talk about how miserable I am. Let's talk about how people are treating me. Let's not talk about how I'm treating myself. And that gets you to 30. I got to 30 years old. I was still making money. I was still paying the rent. I was still uh, functioning as an adult. Um, In my disease, I can drive a car. In my disease, I can get a job. Um, But I was uh, miserable, and I was lonely, and I didn't feel like my life was going anywhere. So I did something crazy. I ran away with the circus. Uh, and that is not a metaphor. People always say, I thought you were joking. No, I ran away with the circus. I joined up with a traveling circus as a stagehands and I went around with them for a little bit over a year. Um, and while I was doing that, uh, I happened to wind up on another part of the country, uh, where an ex-girlfriend of mine had moved. I spoke earlier about people who moved away from me. Um, and I, I need to, I, I like to stop at this moment and just say, yes, I had ex-girlfriends. I, I have this whole story that I share that's part of my disease about oh you can't be successful in this or that if you're heavy except I, I have this this story doesn't happen if I wasn't so um, me and this ex girlfriend hooked up and then I moved along with my circus on my merry way and I thought you know okay that's what life is like now and that's that's what I get and that's where I am except that she called a few months later to say that she was pregnant and there was the the only possibility was with the kid was mine. And I thought, oh, wow, this, is, this, is the, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And I felt like there was something something I couldn't see tapping me on the shoulder saying, I, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're not paying attention to your life. You're not actually uh, running things. You don't seem to know what you're doing. Um, so I, I did what the big book talks about when it says, um, we, we think we can wrest satisfaction out of life if we only manage well. Uh, And the next time, and when when we don't get what we want, what we do is we swing wildly uh, to the opposite side of whatever we had been doing. So if if we were being crazy and and selfish and demanding and uh, like I was being when I ran around the circus and I'm just going to do what I want, I called it being adventurous. When life knocks us back down, we switch to the other side and we become more compliant and more gracious and more giving. Uh, And we turn it up to 11, whichever side of that we're going to be on. So I went from, I'm just out here trying to live my best life and be an adventurous soul to being super dead. I left the circus. I went back to a different career that was a bit more boring, but had had a better potential for sending someone to college someday. Um, we moved the the woman in with me and my family. We had the baby. We tried to raise the baby. Um, I will say uh, from from this experience, raising a baby is the hardest thing I think anybody can do. And uh, it's probably the most difficult thing you can do if you're doing it with somebody that you love. And when you're doing it with someone you can't stand, it is impossible. So we started fighting uh, and we tried all the different living arrangements. You know, we stopped stopped living in the same house. We stopped living in the same cities. We we tried shared custody and this and that and child support arrangements, but it just wasn't working. And uh, she started to say she wanted to take the baby and move back uh, with her family and I said, well, you, you can go wherever you want, but that's my baby. And it looked like there was a custody battle coming up. And um, the, we went out and we got all of our paperwork in order, including getting a DNA test, because we were going to go into a judge and we were going to say, here's all the child support I paid, my name on the birth certificate, DNA test, that's my kid, and I will do whatever it takes to get custody. Uh, when the DNA test came back, the baby was never mine. And as a result of that, I got that tap on the shoulder again that said, no, really, you're not paying attention to your life. And it shattered me. So uh, I lost complete faith in my own ability to tell what reality was. And I thought, whatever I'm on, it's as good as heroin at keeping me disconnected from, from seeing what's right in front of my face. And I was seeing outside help at the time, And I said, went to her and I said, I don't trust my own brain anymore. And that's the ball game for me because I'm a smart guy and I like to trust my own brain. I like my mental strategies for dealing with life. And I think I can wrest satisfaction from life if I just manage well. And my outside help knew exactly what to do. And we started talking about support groups and we started talking about 12 steps. And as I like to say, if you've been listening to the story, you might realize that I qualify for a number of 12 step programs at this point. (laughs) Uh, and my outside, I I went looking, I found this website that posted all of the 12 step meetings that took place in the Los Angeles area. And I was living in Santa Monica at the time. And one of the meetings was no readers, Anonymous meeting that met the very next morning, uh, two blocks away from my house where I was staying. So, uh, I walked up the hill, uh, to a big book study meeting of OA and, uh, I sat in the back and I was angry at everybody who shared that they were moved by the reading. I was angry by how inspired they were. But I did start going to meetings and someone came up after and said, what brings you here? And I was not honest. I said, well, I've always had a problem. Like, I know I can move the weight needle, but I've never been able to keep the needle down and live my life at the same time. I didn't tell them I've completely lost uh, any reason to live and I don't know where you go to get that back. But I, I do count myself as someone who came to OA for the sanity. It's something that I, I, I hold very close because I knew I was insane when I walked in the door and I knew that I was not, um, I was I was high. Oh, excuse me, Aaron, you have five minutes. Thank you. And that's what happened. So I started going to meetings. Um, my abstinence date is February 1st of 2012. It's February 1st because I had gotten a sponsor during a 30 and 30 that my outside help recommended. Um, and we had made a list of what my abstinent foods would be. My, my sponsor made me make the list of abstinent foods by saying, uh, what is any food that once you eat it, you cannot stop eating? Like with The second you have one bite of that food, you want more of it. Uh, this is different than a list of foods um, that you have eaten while you are binging. I want the foods that start the binges, he said. And I told him, you know, I didn't need five seconds to make that list. And I, and I said it to him, but he made me go write it down and email it to him. And that became my red light food list. My sponsor, uh, I was brought up in a philosophy, there is no such thing as a yellow light food list because uh, I grew up and learned to drive in Los Angeles and there is not a single yellow light on earth I won't try to beat. I go faster when I see yellow. I don't slow down. Um, we also decided that I was going to eat three times a day. And then there would be no eating after dinner or between those meals. Uh, That was the hard part for me. Uh, 10 o'clock at night scared me. That's why the first day that I actually did my absence, uh, February 1st, it was 8 o'clock at night and I'd had dinner, but I was staring at the stuff on the pantry. And uh, I just told myself that if I went to sleep that night and uh, I could wake up the next day and go to a meeting and take a chip for one day. So like recovery on day one was I went to sleep at 8 (laughs) o'clock. But I got to eat as soon as I woke up. That was nice. Um, what it's like today is I've worked my way through all 12 steps. Um, it took, uh, several years to get through them all. And actually halfway through my fifth step in OA, I did start another program and, uh, started doing the steps in those, um, at no point, uh, well, so the thing I like to share is, um, I had a lot of opinions about how long it took me to get through step work, particularly the fifth step. Uh, it turns out that, uh, when I'm told to do something, uh, the way I don't want to do it, I get angry, judgmental and blaming. And my sponsor at the time was a very loving man who, you know, kind of took all of that and said, this is the way the steps work. And this is how we're going to do it. Um, it took a second, fifth step and a second sponsor making me go through the same slow process to realize that all of my anger was not because of the way the world was behaving. It was because of the way I acted when I didn't get what I wanted. And it's also the way I acted when I was feeling vulnerable. If I feel vulnerable, I start to get into fear. And I have a trick I learned at some point that says, before you get a fade, try, try being really pissed off. See, see, if that, see if that fixes it. So I always go to anger before fear. And I have a long training uh, in my mental twist uh, to stay angry for a very long time before I finally decide that I'm just going to try things different than the way I tried them before. Um, As long as I have not eaten anything on my red light food list, as long as I have stuck to my three meals a day with no uh, eating between them and no after. I have added snacks uh, since I got an exercise program and, and I found that in the afternoon I needed something between lunch and dinner and talked to my sponsor and got snacks. But as long as I have followed this plan and every single time I have thought of deviating from the plan, I have picked up the phone and I have texted or called another compulsive overeater who is trying not to eat compulsively today. Um, I have been able to maintain this abstinence and I've been headed towards a healthy body weight. Uh, As long as I stay away from the foods that I have a problem with, I get to live like somebody who has no problem with food. I am very similar to somebody who has an allergy to peanuts. Uh, as long as I'm not eating peanuts, it doesn't affect me. I have an allergy to certain foods that once I eat them, the expression of the allergy is I want to eat them again. I, I develop a physical sensation that I am not okay unless I am actively eating. It is, a, it is a physical manifestation in my body. And as long as I don't set off that allergy, I uh, get to live my life. And I don't have the strength to do that on my own. I only get that strength by connecting with other compulsive overeaters. Uh, if, if you remember one thing today, Uh, I would ask that you remember this when there is no place in the big book where it says, if you need a really great shot of recovery, go find somebody who's a big, great guru and a good speaker and, and, and listen to their podcast. It says, if you need a shot of recovery, immediately get in touch with another compulsive overeater on the road to recovery, immediately get in touch with another addict that is trying not to be an addict today. Um, the people who founded this program did not have gurus the people who founded this program had no one who had done what they had done for 20 years or what they were trying to do nobody had done it for 20 years and what they found and the secret they brought to us is as long as they kept talking to each other and as long as they shared their attempt to recover with other people attempting to recover uh they found that they had access to power that wasn't theirs before so that's time thank you Thank you very much for letting me share, and uh, I look forward to your questions. Uh, For those listening uh, to the podcast, please note that you can now attend the Kitchen Sink meeting via Zoom while the stay-at-home order is in effect in Los Angeles. Uh, Go to Uh, oalaig.org for the login information. There is no break at this meeting. The LA Intergroup requests that you continue to contribute as we still have operating expenses, including the subscription costs of this service. Please go to donate.oalaig.org for a direct link to our PayPal account, and please specify your supporting kitchen sink. Any amount is appreciated. Uh, and I've asked Barbara H. to please read the 12 traditions.
2: My name is Barbara, and I'm a compulsive eater. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse at the level of press, radio, and films. 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities.
0: Awesome, thank you so much, Barbara. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking your questions, you do not need to identify yourself if you choose not to. Uh, if you have a question, please click the raise your hand icon. I will call on you, and you can then unmute yourself to ask your question. Uh, we'll start with Alice and R. right there at the top.
1: Hi Aaron. thank you for your share it was amazing. I am my question is about yellow light foods you mentioned that you remove them completely so you only have red and green. How long have you been doing that for? Uh,
0: that has been since that that, that was the start uh, that's been since February 1st of 2011 no 2012 Yes two one one two February 1st 2012 um so 8 years can
1: i ask uh, one, one side question yeah i
0: i wasn't sure if you just wanted the time frame or if there was something specific
1: um i just want to know why you, why you chose to do that and if you could handle ever going back to having yellow light foods that's all
0: so i think uh the way to answer this is um first i will say my red light food list has grown because as i, I, I in abstinence, I continue to eat new things I haven't eaten before. Um, and I have learned, um, there was a particular salad that I had learned to find, uh, anybody who thinks salads are boring, make yourself eat only salads. I promise as a compulsive overeater, you will find the most interesting salads on earth. Like you're, you're, you're still clever. Trust me. Um, I found a salad that was, you know, like 40, 50% meat and cheese, um, but still salad called salad on the menu. Uh, I ate it one day for lunch. And as I was walking out, I was aware of two things. One, my stomach hurt. And two, um, I was wondering if it was sane to eat it for dinner also. So I was uncomfortable, but I wanted more. And so I called my sponsor and I said, this is what's going on. And he said, that sounds like a food that once you've eaten it, you want more of it. So it sounds like it's going on the red list. Um, there's another side, which is uh, coffee. I drink more coffee and I think a healthy adult should. I have at different times put coffee down. Um, and then I picked it back up again and I brought it to the men that I share my food plan with. And I said, I think I need to add coffee to my abstinence. And one of them said, coffee has never seemed to affect your sanity. Coffee has never seemed to affect your health. It has not made your life unmanageable. If you want to stop drinking it, go ahead. If you want to start drinking it, go ahead. But it, it it never, it did not strike them. And I want to make it clear. It did not strike outside observers that coffee was a serenity issue for me. Uh, a doctor may ask me to cut back, um, and I would have to. Uh, I may decide that it's healthier not to drink it, and I can make that choice because it is not a food that I'm compulsive about. Um, but as it, if it comes back, you know, there are things that can happen which would make them say, oh, yeah, no, you have to give up coffee. I did like a year off of coffee, and then I started drinking it again. It's just something I go back and forth with. So there are foods that I, I have opinions about that are not – I have things I consume that I have opinions about that are not abstinence issues. Uh, Michael B. Great. Thank you, Aaron. I appreciate your message. Um, so talk about um, the change in your concept of a higher power from before and now and how it continues to evolve. Maybe some sp- specifics on that, Aaron. Sure. So um, I always believed in in uh, a sentient overpowering force in the universe. Um, the, the place I think I, I kind of, uh, went, the place I went wrong was, uh, I assumed that God was um, omnipotent. God had power to do, to, to enact God's will in any way, shape or form instantaneously. Uh, and that was a difference between us. But in terms of the ability to comprehend the universe and all things, we were completely equal. Uh, I, I, that was where, like me and God thinking on the same level, God just happens to have the superpower I don't have that was my disease way of looking at it. Like I could get into a debating, uh, I could get into a debate with God and potentially win. Um, that changed uh, because I found out that made me think of God as someone who was uh, mean, selfish, uh, you know, ha- had privilege I didn't have. And that anything that God changed, God was changing, was doing, somebody said this recently, whatever I didn't like God was doing to me for God's own capricious reasons. When I got into program, um, My second step was this very, very carefully written phrase. I have the willingness to act as if the God that I need is here for me. Um, My impression of God used to be that I was a rat running a maze. And when I took a wrong turn, God picked me up and put me back at the front of the race. I had to develop the idea that there might possibly be a God that actually wanted to see me win, wanted to see me happy, wanted to see me in love, wanted to see me Uh, gainfully employed and, and, and content with my, my career and with friends and out in the world doing good. Um, I didn't believe it at first, but I committed to pretending like I did. I committed that I would act as if that was the God. Nowadays um, I'm, I'm kind of fully invested in this view that there's uh, North of 7 billion of us on this planet. And if I were running the universe, I would, and I had the ability to, to create anything I would create, as many opportunities as possible for every single one of those seven eight billion people to make a positive choice every second of every day so and 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 if, if as many of them as possible make a positive choice every second of every day the world will get better for all of them um and so i look for where am i being given a choice to do something good i look for where am i being given a choice to make something better. Uh, A lot of times I default to, I can always talk to another compulsive reader because I have found a solution and I can always help somebody else find one. Um, Julie T. Julie, if you're talking, you're muted. Right, we, we will come back to Julie. How about Vanessa R?
2: Hi, everyone. I'm very grateful to
0: be here. Um,
2: the podcasts of this meeting have saved me. Erin, thank you for your share. Um, I've heard your podcast a number of times. I'm wondering whether you can talk a little bit about how you work your step 11. What are your What is your spiritual practice? You talked about it's important to connect with people. Um, How do you connect with your higher power? Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Um, My step 11, kind of my baseline is, uh, since early in program, I have had, I I went out looking for 12 step prayers and I printed up a sheet of about six or seven of them. Um, Those are still my go-tos. I try to say them every single morning. And, and when I'm, when I'm really good, I'm, I say them at night, although, uh, like I said, recovery has changed a bit. I have struggled with, with my set prayers because they are, I've I've gotten to a point where I can be halfway through them and not paying any attention. I can, I can now kind of recite my prayers while planning, uh, the next day, uh, you know, at work. And so it takes effort to, um, it takes effort to focus on what I'm saying and remind myself what I'm asking for. Um, I, you, I've gone through various phases of meditation Uh, for a while. um, I was doing, I I was really enjoying the kind of guided meditation apps that are available for my phone. Uh, Some of them are very kind of gamey. So like, (laughs) Oh, you know, you've, you've got a streak. You've had 322 days of meditation. Um, uh, But they, they taught me a lot um, about how to get, how to find center. These days, I try to do a meditation session in the morning of about 10 minutes and one in the evening. Um, someone in program gave me the guidance that twice a day was the game changer for him. Said what, like once he started putting in the evening meditation, um, things really started to recenter uh so i've been trying to get to that uh these are these are actually these times are lower i've been as high as like doing 20 and 30 minute meditations in the past but these days 10 minutes is what i can fit in with my particular schedule um and i'll just share out loud that's actually a schedule that doesn't exist anymore because now i'm never leaving my house so i could probably fit in the longer times because i no longer have a commute so um there's something else i'll share just because it is i've noticed as i said that I, visually i get blinded by my disease um, every once in a while I get struck by the sudden, uh, feeling that I'm looking at my life in letterbox, like there's black bars at the top and bottom. And I ask myself the question, can you see the sky right now? And I try to look straight ahead and I try to find out, is my vision open enough that I'm aware of the sky over me? Because I find that I get very like myopic. Somehow it affects my me visually. I just block out parts that I don't want. So that has become kind of a spiritual touch point for me. Like, are you actually looking at what's really going on around you right now? Or have, are you starting to like play the movie for yourself? So that's also kind of a spiritual moment that I have. Um, Sarah T.
1: Sarah, thank you so much for your share. The, um, the relationship aspect definitely resonated. I'm 36 and feel like I have dated and had a lot of relationships. Um, But nothing that's substantial because I tend to very quickly push people away. And for whatever reason, my food recently, I've been in program for just about two and a half years, but my food is um, still insane. I'm abstinent and I'm holding my meals, but I probably haven't completely surrendered. So I have two questions. One is, how did you know when to adjust your meal plan to include a snack because you needed it versus you wanted it?
0: Um, One, so how do I know, how did I know when to include my snacks? Uh, Part of recovery has been, um, I started running. (laughs) Uh, and so when I was on a training program to run a marathon, um, I cut off a long run of about 15 miles and kind of on autopilot, walked myself into a diner and ordered a sandwich and just became aware I'm not feeding myself for what I'm Five physically minutes. doing. Thank you. Uh, I'm not feeding myself for what I'm physically doing. So um, I had that lunch. I then called my sponsor and said, here's what just happened. I think we need to start talking about adding a snack. I also used to have that thing where I'd kind of fall asleep at my desk at around three o'clock in the afternoon. And that, that informed the idea that maybe I need something that bridges, You know, if I'm eating uh, lunch at noon and I'm not having dinner until six or seven at night, maybe something needs to happen in there uh, as, a, as a way of, of bridging the gap. These days, I don't go more than four hours without eating something. Um, which is, it has done wonders to even things out. Um, I know the, the other question is, uh, how do I know when I need to adjust my meal plan? Number one, uh, if I eat something and I want more of it, I have to, I, I call it out immediately. I let my sponsor and my, my men's group know. Um, number two, uh, my men's group called me out because over the course of about six, seven months, I gained, uh, maybe it was longer a year. I gained 30 pounds, uh, since my lowest weight in, in abstinence. And my, field, my food had not changed. I was still eating within the boundaries of my abstinence. But when I, when I said, I've been saying for months, oh, my weight went up another one pound. Oh, my weight went up another two pounds. But it was always these tiny increments. Finally, someone said to me, what's your total gain since this trend started? And I looked at it and I said, it's about 29, 30 pounds. They said, okay, that is a significant weight. And what I was instructed to do was go to a doctor, find out what the upper bound of my weight should be for health reasons, which I did. And then they said, as long as you're above that number, we need to adjust your food down until you get to a healthy weight. Um, and so we did, I had to give up uh, one of my bread servings. I gave up alcohol, um, and trended. And now I'm within my range. As long as I'm within that, that healthy weight range set by an outside medical professional, we don't touch my food at all. Uh, the parameters of my absence stay unless I wind it. I'm still dreaming of the day it'll go below the range and I get to add something back. But right now I only get to, I, have taken stuff away and that's what's worth um, I think Julie T. We have Julie T's question.
2: Yeah, um, this is Carol I'm reading for Julie. Her mic is not working, so her question is: When you realize that all you didn't, you realize that all you didn't have, and all your problems weren't because you were fat. How did you deal
0: with that? Um, I got really angry at my sponsor. I. <laughs> Uh, when I realized all of my problems were not because I was fat, uh, I was literally heartbroken and scared. Um, embarrassed, like part of the immense process for me was trying to figure out what do I do for all of those people that I blamed and shamed for so long for a problem that was all only in my head, um, got mad at mom and dad because why didn't they teach me this thing they didn't know? Um... But I will share, I got I got one good piece of of how to look at this, which is think about when you think about the life that you have right now, and then you think about the life you want, when you hold those two things and you see how far they are from each other, that tension that you're feeling, this person told me, that tension, that's a good tension. Don't run away from that. That is a creative power. That is what you can use to make changes in your life. Uh so I had to learn that, that just because I was uncomfortable did not mean I was powerless. Um I did go through my immense process to make amends to people that I blame for all the things that I, I was angry at myself for. Um and I called a lot of people. I've had a lot of phone calls where I've said, I know I'm crazy, but I'm just mad at so and so. Like I know I'm wrong. I know that in two months, I will look back at this and think, oh, yeah, there's no reason to be mad at that person. They were just doing what they were doing. And I know that, but I am still furious about it. And I have had some very loving men hold space for me in this program and just say, yeah, yeah, I know. I get it. And then when they got bored of it, they said, all right, call somebody else now. And I pick up the phone and told them the same story until it was out of my system. So I work the phones. I, I, I show up for people. I ask them to show up for me. Um, you do have to learn coping mechanisms for being uncomfortable because you are going to discover uncomfortable things about yourself. Um, If somebody that you're sharing with doesn't get it, thank them very much for picking up the phone and call the next person. And I think we have time for one more, and that'll be, uh, did we already do Sarah? I think we...
2: This Sarah?
0: Sarah T.
1: Sorry, I didn't forget to raise my hand back down. Go for it, Sarah.
0: Okay. Uh, let's go with Dawn. Dawn's got her her hand up.
1: Hi. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, I guess my question is about working with sponsees. Um, Just if you could kind of share your experience with working with sponsees, because that's a new thing for me.
0: Sure. This will be the last one. I'll answer this really quickly, um, which is just my sponsor. I I actually, uh, the phrase I use is sponsorship is a sponsee-directed activity any human being in overeaters anonymous or even outside of it can ask me for my abstinence any human being in overeaters or outside of it can ask me for my experience strength and hope on any matter my sponsors are the ones who do what i do so anyone who comes up to me and says i want you to sponsor me i say here's what i do if they come back and they say yeah i get it but i really want yellow light foods i say i wish you luck with that it doesn't work for me like i'm ha- i will talk i talk to anybody i talk to anyone at all um if they ask me how to work the steps and they say, I don't like writing it out by hand, I put it on my iPad. I say that wouldn't work for me. I need to do it by hand. I can, I can type it 70 words per minute. My fourth step will be 18 days long. Like I, I need, we, it's just the thing I, I share openly with anyone I've shared with coworkers who I don't like when they say, why did, how did you lose so much weight? I've told them my program, which is, you know, vulnerability for me, but I got it for free. So I give it away for free. Um, and quite frankly, as long as I'm honest with my sponsees, I've also found I've never had to fire a sponsee. They, the ones who really, really don't want to do what I do, they excuse themselves from my sponsorship. They go find somebody else that works for them, and I'm okay Fine. with that. So um, that's it. Thank you all very much for your questions, and thank you for letting me be of service today. It is now time uh, for the Secretary's announcement.